Yeah, I am. Um, so, so what he shared with you and kind of what we've been going through is, uh, you know, uh, somebody, I don't know who it was, maybe Martin Luther, I don't know, but he said that the church is always reforming, right? So he was like the reformer, you know, back in the 1600s uh, and, uh, or 1700s, but then like the church does not stop reforming, right? And so we're in the middle of that process right now. We recognize uh, that if we are going to be what Jesus has called the church to be, then we have to become something different. And we actually long to see, like, and we have acknowledged together, we long to see this church become something more for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors. And so be careful. Be careful when I say that or when you hear any of your leaders say that because what you are inclined to hear, and you are inclined to hear this because you have been shaped by a Christian culture that has told you what, this is what it means to be church and this is what a church's ultimate goal should be. So be very careful when you hear us talking about becoming a different church because what you might be inclined to hear is that we want the church to grow. Now, we want the church to grow. But that is only an end result of what we ultimately want, which is discipleship, right? Like, we want to see people truly pursuing Jesus in a deep way. Like, I, uh, in fact, I'm actually not interested in a church that grows that does not have strong discipleship and life renovation and life change taking place. Like the goal is not growth. The goal is like we believe Jesus changes lives and we actually want to see him change lives through this church. We want people to meet Jesus and come to understand what it is to have a renewed relationship with their creator. So, uh, so yeah, I'm not really interested in us necessarily growing. I'm interested in seeing people change. So we're in this series called Renovate Me. And in in the middle of the series, we said something last week, and we're going to say it again this week. So we long to see something be different in this church. We long to to see something be different in this neighborhood. So this is what we say. We say, uh, what, I need you to repeat after me, what God will change out there yeah, and our energy, we, it just kind of takes a little bit to get us built up. So I'm going to have you do that again. So what God will change out there. Okay, and you forgot one thing, right? I asked you to do the hand motions last week and you didn't do them. So I need you to do the hand motions. Okay, what God will change out there. Starts now with changes in here. Good job. Okay, I'm glad you figured that out. I'm very proud of you. That's great. So if we want to see this church change so that more people can meet Jesus and change, that only happens if I'm willing to let Jesus change me. Right? If you long to see this church change and and then help people to change, that only happens if you're willing to let Jesus change you. So, so last week we talked about what we need to do is we need to dismantle contentment because there are places uh, kind of untouched by Jesus inside of us and around us and uh, there are places that are broken and places that are dark and, and, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. There are places in our spheres of influence that, that people who have not met Jesus, people who are in the dark, people who are experiencing the brokenness of this world without knowing what it is to be in relationship with their creator, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. 
Right, so, so something should be unsettled inside of us, and so I called all of us, we need to kind of start dismantling contentment. Like, we need to examine ourselves and figure out what comforts inside of us are just kind of making us okay with the brokenness that exists. So assuming that you have kind of been uh, letting the Holy Spirit work through that process and that you've been letting him stir up something inside of you, there's now another question which is, okay, great, I'm discontent, what do I do with that? Like, what do I do with my discontentment? So, uh, so what will drive kind of the personal renovation that is going to spill over into our corporate renovation? So I want to tell you the story of a man named Jeremiah Lanfear. In 1957, there was a small uh, New York City Dutch Reformed church that was struggling. It had kind of gone down in attendance year after year after year. Uh, People, it, it just wasn't lively in terms of what people saw there. And so the church wanted to do something about this. So what they did is that they, uh, they wanted to hire a lay person, uh, a person who did not work in ministry, uh, who would go around and visit families who were not currently in the church, and this was a time when that was like still okay, like people just walked into people's houses and like had conversation and stuff, that's not so much a thing now, but they wanted to hire somebody who would go and like go into people's homes and invite them to church. And so Jeremiah Lanfear was a, a businessman, and he... Um, gave up his job so that he could do this for the church for a significantly lower salary than what he was making before. And so he started going into homes and inviting people to come to church. And it wasn't working. Like, he went into more and more homes and invited people, and like maybe one family showed up out of the hundreds that he visited in a week, right? Like, he, he did not, he was not seeing any results. And so um, this left him incredibly discouraged, And what he did with his discouragement is that he would pray. And he would find in his times of prayer with God that even though he was discouraged because he was not seeing these results, God was still a good father to him. God still loved him. He found deep connection to his father in the midst of these times. And so uh, he kind of had an epiphany. He's like, wow, I'm connecting to God in prayer. And that is really powerful for me. So what if, instead of going into people's homes, what if I had people come to a prayer meeting? So, uh, so then he kind of set this up. He worked it out that once a week uh, during the lunch hour, he would invite the working people, the businessmen in New York City, to, uh, to come to this prayer meeting. And he printed off flyers, and he invited them to it. And so, so he started this prayer meeting uh, in the first week on a Wednesday at 12 o'clock, and uh, he prayed, and for 30 minutes, he was the only one there. Handed out all these flyers. And then, uh, and then at minute mark 30, uh, another person walked in and prayed with him. And then by the end of the prayer meeting, there were like, Five people total in the prayer meeting. And then the next week, he's like, okay, well, we're going to keep doing this and see what happens. So the next week, 20 people show up for the prayer meeting. And then the week after that, 40 people show up for the prayer meeting. 
And then within three months, they're having thousands of people show up for the prayer meeting. Within six months, across New York City, there are 20 different locations with thousands of people meeting in them together to pray. And what is the result of this? But people are getting back into church. Churches are growing and churches are thriving. And so these prayer meetings started in New York City they awakened a wave of spiritual renewal that did not stop in New York City, but then cities around the world started their own prayer meetings with thousands of people showing up, uh, cities across the United States. And it's estimated that as a result of this guy starting this one prayer meeting, nearly one million people came to Christ through these prayer meetings. Like come into the prayer meetings and witness people pouring out their hearts to the Lord and so convicted by witnessing that that they stand up and they want to repent of sin and follow Jesus. Like that's what they long for. And so they they, uh, got together and people gathered and they're praying and people are forsaking everything for Jesus. And so what happened was a commitment to, to prayer birthed spiritual renewal. And we see similar things in the book of Acts for what it's worth. Like, let's just go through a short series of them. Acts 1, 13 and 14. And when they, that is Jesus' disciples, had entered, they went up to the upper room. And uh, these, the disciples, along with Mary, uh, and um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and some of the women that were with Jesus, they all, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. That's what they were doing. And so uh, this prayer meeting, for what it's worth, is a key step in the story that resulted in Peter standing up and preaching and the Holy Spirit falling and miraculous works happening and 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus in one day. That prayer meeting was a key step in the process. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so we see in verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So their collective prayer is a key component of how they are functioning together as Jesus' church. And the result is people are being added to the church. People are coming to know Jesus. Spiritual power is being seen in these places. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Like the experience in the moment was this place is literally shaking. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They went out to their spheres of influence and they spoke to people about who God is. Now, I could give more examples in the book of Acts because the book of Acts is full of people coming to know Jesus and people praying a lot. It just is a continuous part of this. So so this is what I want you to get. This is our main point for this morning. Prayer is the engine that drives renovation. Prayer is the engine that drives renovation. So we're going to zero in on prayer and ask how it can drive renovation in ourselves that spills over into our community. So in order to do that, we need to have a little bit of an acknowledgement and a confession. Like if you're like me, sermons about prayer are not exciting. They are not like, I, I, I'm never like, I cannot wait to hear a sermon on prayer. And do you know why? Because every time I hear a sermon on prayer, I walk away feeling guilty that I don't pray enough, 
right? Like that's just the result. That's what happens. Like, okay, so, so you know that I'm up here and I'm here to talk to you about prayer and you might be concerned that really at the end of the day you're like, oh yeah, I should really pray more. Like the reality is most of us probably feel like we could pray more than we currently do. And I want to submit to you that there are reasons, like I think there are really clear reasons why we don't pray as much as we think we should. Like, okay, so, uh, so I think the reason or some of the core reasons have to do with warped beliefs that we have about prayer. So uh, engage with me, and I don't necessarily need you to agree with me about these beliefs. What I want you to do, though, is as I kind of put these in front of you, I want you to figure out if these are true about you. So we have three warped beliefs that are impeding our prayers. Number one, we mistakenly believe that prayer is a boring obligation. So, uh, so we have, uh, for multiple reasons, come to view prayer as a necessary spiritual task, a box to check in terms of this is what it means to be Christian. So we go, okay, well, I guess I should probably do this. But in reality, when we think of our times in prayer, we're relatively uninterested. Like if, if we do it, if we do actually pray, uh, in the midst of those times, we might be checking the time to see like if it's time to stop yet. Have I prayed long enough? Oh, well, it's only two minutes in. I need to pray at least five minutes this time, so I should probably keep going. Okay, what am I going to come up with? Right, so, so we should pray even when we don't want to. Like, I don't want you to mishear me on this. We should absolutely pray when we don't want to. But a prayer life that is filled by a sense of pure obligation is a prayer life that ultimately misses God's heart. Okay, so that's the the first uh, warped belief. The second warped belief, we uh, mistakenly believe that prayer is for me. So, uh, So we believe prayer matters because we want to see our material circumstances change and we believe God has the power to change our material circumstances, which, by the way, he does. So, so we want God to be the one to change our circumstances. So we pray primarily when two things happen. Number one, things are really challenging in our life. And number two, we have a big decision to make. Like those are the two biggest times that we pray, when things are hard and we have a really big decision to make. And I want to tell you, those are really good times to pray. But if they are the only times we pray then we miss the point of prayer. Okay, so that's the second word belief. The third word belief is, I have all I need without prayer. So, so there are a couple of factors behind this idea, but I want to deal with the reality uh, that we are comfortable, right? Like, we have lives where we have everything we need. We have easy access to everything we need. Like we live in the United States of America and even the poorest among us in the United States of America has easier access than the majority of the known world, right? So we're very comfortable and we can very easily get the things we need. So, so if we can believe a lie that has been given to us, which is that our ultimate purpose is to find for ourselves a fulfilling career and support a family or have a family in some way. Like if we believe that is our ultimate purpose, 
you're actually, like in the United States, able to do that pretty comfortably. Not everybody can do it, but a lot of people are able to do that pretty comfortably, or at the very least, you're able to be on track towards that goal. So if that's the case, like if that's our ultimate purpose, what do we need prayer for anyway? Okay, so, so those are all the warped beliefs. We're in Luke 11. Jesus' disciples, they have been watching Jesus and his pattern of life with God. And one thing that's really interesting that they notice about Jesus is he spends like hours of time away by himself praying. And like sometimes they watch him pray and he's there for a long time. And they don't understand like what is going on with this guy. How is he praying so long? What is he praying about? And then interestingly enough, as some of the the gospels are telling the story, they kind of like have Jesus going away. And then after these times when he goes away and is praying, he comes back and works these massive miracles, like performs amazing works and people like want to believe or people come to have their lives touched. People come to have sickness that has been upon them, broken down after all of this time, right? So Remember, the disciples, they're looking at Jesus, they're seeing him pray, and and for what it's worth, they have their own baggage with prayer. So Luke 11, 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We are going to take these warped beliefs of ours, and we are going to submit them to Jesus And we're going to let Jesus reframe prayer for us so that we can take this kind of primary tool for living life with God and actually employ it to carry us through renovation. Okay, so uh, warped belief number one, prayer is a boring obligation. Luke 11, 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Father. So for what it's worth, Jesus is uh, speaking likely in Aramaic here. In Aramaic, the word is Abba. And uh, Abba is, uh, if you have been in the church for a long time, if you've not been very long, like uh, Abba is not just a descriptive term. It's not just a term to say, hey, like this is my dad. Abba is, is an affectionate term for father. It's a term birthed out of deep, intimate, close relationship with your father. So we were made for relationship with God. Like as we read the story of scripture, as we understand who we are, like we know that God made us for relationship and he wants our life with him to be so much more than just a religious task that we have to accomplish. Okay, so he's inviting us to know him as a dad who loves us and cares for us. So you know what? So many times I fear that we don't pray uh, because we feel about God kind of like I feel about the police officer who pulls me over, right? So, uh, so when I get pulled over by the police officer, I am very nervous. Like, uh, fight, flight, or freeze. Like, those are your various responses to fear. I'm in the freeze mode because I am constantly, I'm evaluating every action, every tick of my finger, everything I have to do, because like, I 
don't want this guy to accuse me of doing something wrong. Like, I feel like he is constantly, at the moment, from the moment he pulls me over, I'm like, okay, what can he see in my car? Can he see, like, I, it, I have nothing to hide. Like, I have nothing to worry about, but I am very nervous that this guy is going to see something. So, so, okay, so he pulls me over and, and comes in, and I'm like, yes, sir, okay, yeah, whatever you want, I'm going to do because I don't want to be in trouble, right? I don't like that you're over my shoulder right now, and so you want me to pay $500 for a ticket? Okay, I guess I'll pay $500 for a ticket. That's not unreasonable at all. So I get all of these like nervous feelings when the police officer pulls me over, and I get the sense that our picture of prayer with God is God kind of like looking over us and discerning every kind of little action that we're doing and telling us in these moments with him, no, you're not good enough because you don't pray enough and no, you don't deserve to be with me. So it's really a burden for me to spend this time with you. And that is not God's attitude towards us at all. Like God wants to enjoy time with us. He wants us to have an intimate, close relationship with So Jesus gives us quite a different picture. He calls him dad and tells us to do the same. Like, this is crazy. The guy who shaped the universe, who created worlds, wants you to relate to him like a dad who loves you. Not a police officer who's waiting to find you. Okay, so if that's the case, how do we recalibrate that belief? Well, prayer is our chance to connect to a loving father, right? It's much more than a boring obligation. Okay, so with the first word of his prayer, Jesus is already in the process of reframing everything for us, and then he goes on. And our second warped belief, prayer is for me. So Luke 11.2, just after the first word, hallowed be your name. So hallowed is uh, another word for holy, and and really the word holy, it simply means something that is set apart. Um, So we are prone to read this and then uh, think that, okay, so hallowed be your name. So what God wants me to do with hallowed be your name is I want to praise God by telling him that his name is holy. That's a good thing to do, by the way, but that's not what Jesus is doing here. Like Jesus is actually asking God to accomplish something when he says, hallowed be your name. He's actually, what he's doing for us is clarifying the purpose of all prayer. Everything that we're doing. Like this is not, so we read it as a statement of fact, but in reality, like we are calling on God to do something. What we're actually saying when we say, hallowed be your name, is we're saying, God, set your name apart from everything else. Set your name apart from everything else. Through this prayer that I am praying, Father, my dad, as I approach you, would you, through this prayer, set your name apart from all other things. Make your name great. Dad, set your name apart in the depths of my soul. Set your character apart in the eyes of the watching world. Move heaven and earth for everyone to recognize how great you are. Let them see and recognize your perfect justice. Let them see your unfailing love and keep those things the ever-present focus of my heart. Dad, make your name holy. So our inclination is to kind of pray for the stresses in our lives, right? 
And those places are a good place to start. He hears those prayers. But Jesus wants us to move beyond uh, prayers for us to prayers that exist for this greater purpose, greater than alleviating stresses. So uh, he wants us to call on God to make his name stand out in a world that would actually prefer to ignore him. So when we see that as the purpose of every prayer that is prayed then in the context of a loving relationship with God, then you know what he does? Like, as we know that our Father loves us and we engage with him in prayer and we say, hey, I want, like, I want to see your purposes come about for you making your name great. As we believe that and engage with him, you know what he does? He starts to align our hearts with his heart. And as he aligns our hearts with his heart, we, uh, through the process, happen to get renovated, right? He makes us into the new people that he longs for us to be. And then, like, we actually then start asking things that, that are more, alignment, more in alignment with his will, which means that our prayers become more effective because we have tapped into his heart for what he wants for the world around us, for our spheres of influence. Okay. So uh, then let's deal with the third belief. Warped belief number three. I have all I need without prayer. So uh, for what it's worth, there are two reasons that we believe this will go through each one of them. The first reason that we believe this is that our view of what we are called to do and be is small. The reason that we believe I have all I need without prayer And nobody would state that explicitly, right? This is kind of a belief that lies under the surface. Our view of what we are called to do and be is small. So I remember times like when I would sit down to pray and I would not be able to think of anything to ask for. Like, like what am I supposed to pray for right now? God, I guess, like, help me with my homework tomorrow and um, help me have a good day at work and help me have a good day at school. Amen. Like, that's what, that's what I can come up with. Like, that's what I had. And here's what I was missing. When Jesus calls us to pray, he's calling us to, to participate in something that is so much bigger than simply focusing on our tasks for the next day. Like, the thing that we are called to participate in is something so much bigger than the life that we have already set ourselves to. Luke eleven two. Your kingdom come. We tend to think that this is a prayer about heaven uh, and about God, like, hurry up the day, like, when we're all going to be in heaven together, or uh, God, hurry up the day when Jesus comes back, which that is a, a part of it, but this prayer has so much more to do with reality than just that. So I'd submit to you this morning that when Jesus came to earth, he viewed his ministry as bringing the kingdom of light to break into the kingdom of darkness. These are the words he used to describe his ministry at the outset of it, Luke 4, 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, right? He has specially given me the ability to do this task to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So when Jesus prays, your kingdom come, that's what he's praying. 
He's praying that those things would be accomplished, that people, people who are under the burden of physical duress because of the darkness and brokenness of this world would be free. And so what does he do? He spends time with his father in prayer, and then he goes and he starts healing people, freeing people from the physical suffering that they are under. Right, what does he do? But he goes away and spends time in prayer and then comes and like heals people and then says like, I can forgive sins and says, your sins are forgiven you, right? These are the things that he accomplishes. He comes in and he's able to feed people after spending a long time in prayer up on a mountain. He shows up and like thousands of people get to eat something, people who are hungry and starving. And so we tend to think that this prayer is about heaven, but I'd like, I'd submit to you that this is about us seeing Jesus' kingdom enacted in the here and now as much as it can be, right? Like, this is about people, Jesus kind of breaking into the darkness. Remember last week I said, um, I said that there's a person hiding inside of you, that, uh, that the brokenness has covered up, that it's keeping kind of locked away, and Jesus has the keys to begin letting that person out. Like the world needs, I told you, the world needs who you were made to be, but that person is stuck because of the darkness. Jesus comes to break that person out, right? To set at liberty those who are oppressed. So what that means is when Jesus' kingdom breaks in, captives get set free. So the reason that we pray is we pray to set captives free. This is so much bigger than God, help me have a good day tomorrow. Like this is, like we should not be bored in our spiritual lives. Like there are people in our neighborhoods who, who have not yet recognized who God is, who are struggling with anxiety and struggling with addiction and they need to be broken out of their darkness. And that doesn't just happen. Like that's not something we can do. We need to pray that God would break in, that his kingdom would come in the here and now and actually rescue people out from under the brokenness. So, like, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, then every place you go, like, everything that you're a part of is now an opportunity for the kingdom to draw near to people. And what that means is if everything you do is an opportunity for the kingdom to draw near to people, then you better pray that the Lord would bring the kingdom near because he's the one with the power behind it. So you can't tell me that you don't have anything to pray for. I can't tell me that I don't have anything to pray for. Okay, so the second reason that you believe that you have all you need without prayer, uh, Jesus addresses in the final part of his prayer. You have a higher view of your own ability than you should. You have a higher view of your own ability than you should. Luke 11, verse 3, he says, Give us our daily bread. Your food, your clothing, your shelter, everything that you have. You could not have it if God did not give it to you, right? And we're not trained to think like this because we don't have to live day to day. Like we live, um, some of us live month to month, right? Like some of us live week to week, but the idea of living day to day and know, not knowing where the next day's food is going to come from? That is a very foreign concept to us. The problem with that is we can tend to believe that we are the ones who are getting the food on our table. 
that we are the ones who are paying off the mortgage on our house to ensure that we can keep it, that we are the ones who are getting new clients to make sure that we can continue making money. We tend to believe that we're doing all of that, but the reality is, is your food and your clothing and your shelter, everything that you have to make it from day to day to day, it is all a gift from God. So what we need to do with this part of the prayer is come to every day, God, I know that if I, don't, if I did not have you actively sustaining and working in the midst of my situation, that I would have nothing. Right? When we, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, Lord, we, we have to, us in America, we have to recognize that, the, that God each day has worked to give us our daily bread and thank him for that. Uh, and if that's true, you probably have excess that somebody else doesn't have. And there is somebody else who needs daily bread who does not have it. That could be an opportunity for you to step in and serve them. Uh, Verse four. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Focus on the first part. Forgive us our sins. The only way that you can have this freedom of relationship with your father Is that like the thing that stopped him from being the cop who is looking over your shoulder, the blood of Jesus, right? Which frees you from having to be judged and condemned by God and sets you free to have this loving relationship with your father. Like you are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Like God loves and enjoys relationship with you and you can walk freely into that relationship because of what Jesus has has accomplished. You have been forgiven. And so your place as a child who can say to your dad, dad, comes only as a result of grace. And by the way, the more you realize that, the more it changes you to forgive others. Because you recognize how much it takes for you to be able to walk into God's presence and simply say, dad, and him to freely accept you. And you go, like, how could I hold anything against anybody Okay, and then finally, uh, lead us not into temptation. This is the last piece of us recognizing that uh, we have a much lower ability than we actually do, or we think we do. So uh, lead us not into temptation. If you read this in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, he says, deliver us from evil or the evil one. The recognition is in the midst of this brokenness and darkness that is laid out across this world, there has been authority given to an enemy who wants to keep us in the dark. Like he wants to keep us blinded. And by the way, he wants to keep your next door neighbors blinded. He wants to keep the people in your neighborhood blinded. He wants to keep the people in this neighborhood blinded. He loves the fact that people can kind of just stay under the the darkness, stay under the brokenness. Things thrive when uh, kind of we become docile. So when we say, lead us not into temptation, what that's actually saying, God does not lead us into temptation for what it's worth. Uh, God does not, he's not the one who tempts us. What it's saying is, Lead us away from temptation. Fight against the one who is tempting us. Do battle to put him away so that we can be free to walk into what you've called us to. Right, so, so 
your enemy is stronger than you. Right? You can't, if you want to try to live the Christian life without prayer, that is a Christian life that is going to fail often and quickly because your enemy is stronger than you and you have no power to do battle with him. Good news, Jesus does. Okay. Remember, prayer is the engine that drives renovation. Prayer is the engine that drives us becoming the people God made us to be. Okay, so what? What do we do with that? Number one, I want to invite you to come pray and worship with us. April 24th, from 4 to 5.30, I'm asking for an hour and a half of your time. And I'm going to tell you, only come if you want to see God go to work. Like, if you're content not seeing God go to work, then that's fine. Like, and I'm not, like, don't hear me. If you don't show up next week, and, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I guess you don't want to see God go to work, right? Like, benefit of the doubt, right? I understand. But I'm telling you, if you come, God will go to work. Like, like when we pray together, God does mighty things. And he's going to go to work in you first. Right? Like, if you will prioritize it, this time of praying and worshiping together will do more to accomplish God's purposes in you than a year worth of sermons from me. Again, you think I'm joking about that. I'm not. Like, if you will commit yourself to praying with God and his people, it will change more inside of you than listening to a person talk at you for 40 minutes ever will. So uh, I'd invite you to come out and pray with us. Number two, go do spiritual battle. So Ephesians uh, 6, 12 tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Like, like, we have things that we are called to. We have things that we are trying to accomplish. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Like, the people, we, we are not fighting against human beings. There is a different realm that we are fighting against, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, keeping people asleep, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's like, The enemy, the evil one, he is strongly at work in this world. And whoever we think we're fighting that might be a human being or even a a system derived by human beings, like if we think it's any of that, we're missing the point. There is an enemy behind these things that we are called to do battle with. And so what does he do? He says, you need to put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And so he talks about things like the belt of truth. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And these are all things that we work to arm ourselves with. And that's great. Like, those are all really good things. But there is a way that you actively employ all of those things that you put on. Right? There is a tool that you are given to take all of those things that you're equipping yourself with. So like uh, my job, Pastor Don's job, any of the elders' job, like our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We are the ones helping you kind of put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. We're the ones helping you do that. But there is a way that you actually have to employ those things. And it says it in verse 18. The way you do it, put on this, put on this, put on this, put on this. Finally, you employ those things that you put on, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
Like church, we may long to see change and, and whatever change we long to see will not come if we don't pray. It will not come if we don't pray. So, so four weeks ago, I asked us to, to collectively make prayer commitments to praying for our church, to praying for our influence in the community, for, for praying for our, our influence as individuals in our spheres that, that God has sent us to. And so, like, if you're still keeping that commitment, go for it. But, like, there's a good chance some of us are faltering, and that's okay. If you're faltering, I want you to be encouraged. There is effective, tangible spiritual ground that is taken when you pray like Jesus calls us to pray. So re-engage. Engage more. Like if you need help, uh, use the tool. So uh, we have, um, there are note sheets on the chairs here. Right? Uh, if you're here in person, you can take that home with you. Uh, at the back of that is a prayer guide. If you want to start praying for this church and figuring out how you can come alongside us and take spiritual ground with us, one of our elders prepares that each week. I'd invite you to, to pray through that with us. But let's take some spiritual ground together. And with that being said, I want to pray that we might see God's power go to work in this place. So would you pray with me, please? Jesus, I ask that you would draw our attention and our affections to our Father who loves us. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the freedom that we have to walk into the presence of God and know that we are accepted, know that we are forgiven, know that we are joyfully welcomed into God's presence. Lord, and so in that place, I pray that you would begin aligning our prayers more with your purposes. But it's not wrong that we would pray to see you do things in our current circumstances, but teach us to pray for the things that you want us to pray for. Lord, shape us into people who would long to see the darkness broken. Lord, send us out across our neighborhoods. Not content to see the spiritual darkness remain, send us praying house after house after house as we walk through. Lord, that we could be part of the way that the kingdom is breaking into the midst of that brokenness. Lord, help us to see these things. Help us to, to see that there is an enemy who is actively at work to keep people in the dark. And Lord, let us be so discontent with that that we will not stop praying to see the light break in. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do inside of us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would renovate and reframe and reform prayer inside of us, that we would become a people who pray, that your house would be called a house of prayer. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.